it's DJ. Welcome to another edition of the RC Retirement YouTube channel, or for those of you out there in podcast land, to the podcast. Sorry, I do very often record these simultaneously, so it ends up being the same audio file. But anyway, I mentioned that I was going to talk about a problem that is impacting our retired service members in a negative way. In, in my region, we have started collecting information about this, about cases of this nature. We've even given it a name. We've decided that since this is probably just a small fraction of the number of people out there with this problem, we've started to call it Operation Iceberg. So let me tell you what this is. We are talking about Retired service members, particularly those who have been medically retired, but it could be those who have smaller amounts of, of military retirement on the reserve component side, but it's particularly those with medical retirements. These people often end up with VA compensation as well, of course, that's to be expected. But it very often takes a long time for the Veterans Administration and Defense Finance pay systems to sync with each other and for the VA slash military offsets to begin to happen. I've talked about those in previous episodes. I won't go into that now. Let's just say that after a year or two or three of receiving both military retirement and VA compensation that suddenly those dual compensation methods stop and worst upon worst you end up getting you the retiree end up getting a letter from either the Veterans Administration or Defense Finance saying you owe a significant amount of money. In one case I have an individual who owes over $60,000 as a result of this offset taking so long to start to occur. I've mentioned that in previous episodes as well, but today I want to actually show you one of these individuals. This is a smaller individual, smaller case as far as money, so you can say he's a lucky one. But it'll give you a good idea of what's happening, and I'm also going to give you a possible recourse. It's not a magic bullet by far, and I have to say up front, I'm not a finance person. I have discussed this problem with finance experts and gotten and received their advice, but I am not by far the expert here, and if you ask me questions about it, you know, please give me some time because I will then be turning around and asking the experts I know. So as much as I want to help, it will take me a little more time than usual because I have to ask people myself. So with that in mind, let me show you what's going on with this individual and hopefully everyone can learn from this particular case. All right. So this is the header for the letter that this particular specialist, you know, for those of you who are not Army, that's pay grade of an E4. Um, I blocked out the name 
but let's just call him, let's see, we'll make up something interesting. Well, I can't think of anything interesting. We'll just say Miller for now. So Specialist Miller has received this letter, and it says that, you know, Dear Specialist Miller, blah, 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 in his particular case, his VA rating has gone up, and it is now higher than the amount he was receiving from the military. This actually happened a few months before the letter. In fact, if you notice, the letter was dated April 2nd, and the effective date of the increase was February 1st. So it took a little while for Defense Finance to even begin to notify Specialist Miller of this problem. But then later on it says, because we were notified after this change was made, you have been overpaid. A debt has been applied to your account for this overpayment. And then it shows a worksheet, or, or mentions a worksheet enclosed that results in a total debt of $2,974.36 for the previous calendar year. Now let's move on to the next part of the letter. And it's essentially saying that you know, there is no pay from defense finance, so, so DFAS cannot collect this overpayment. And they're saying that the VA should have done something but didn't. And somehow or another, this debt has to be resolved. Now we move on to page two, and it shows those calculations that were mentioned before. This, you know, as I said earlier, is an actually a fortunate case. This is not as much money as some of the others that I have seen, but everyone's case is different. What might be a low amount of money for one person could be catastrophic for another. For Specialist Miller, this is quite a hardship. I communicated with him just before I made this video, and this is a substantial hardship for him. He would have great difficulty paying this back right now. So the recourse that I have is one that he is going to take. So after consultation with some finance gurus, their suggestions were to go for a waiver slash remission of indebtedness application. Now, this is a Department of Defense form, specifically DD Form 2789. It is a two-page form. I'm going to run through it very quickly. Uh, the reason I'm going through this one rather than another one that was shown to me is this is the Department of Defense version. The other was the Department of the Army version. This one is more applicable to the wider audience of this channel, of this podcast, and therefore the better thing to show you overall. So anyway, we see the title. I'm not going to worry about all of the Privacy Act and other legalese there. We'll move on to the next bit. And that part is fairly simple. It's just some demographic information. Are you applying for a waiver or remission? And in this case, 
since Specialist Miller is a retiree, he is applying for a waiver. That is the first one. When you look at the authority for granting waiver, it mentions that it applies to active or retired military. And he is National Guard in his case. And then you know, blocks one through six are just demographic information. A little bit of trivia, if you did not know, in block six here, EOE is, and I just had a, a brain cramp right for a moment. End of enlistment, it's right there. Thank you. Sometimes even I have a brain cramp. And of course, date of retirement down at the bottom for DOR. We get used to acronyms being one thing and it throws us when it's another. That's just the way of things. All right, so moving on. More demographic information. We won't worry about seven through nine. Block 10 is where things start getting serious. Type of debt. Block 11, amount of debt. Block 12, date and how you first became aware. Pretty simple stuff. Since these narrative blocks are so small, I would make the same recommendation that I make to a lot of people, and that is to attach a narrative, to attach a letter to these sorts of applications and simply say in blocks like this, see attached letter, if you think you need more space to frame your argument. Anyway, we're not going to go through all of these various things, but you see already it's a pretty quick form to complete. This section already is the end of page one. That is essentially all that needs to be done from the service member perspective. The rest, the stuff on page two, is for the branch of service or defense finance to complete. Now, I'm going to run through those bits real quick and then tell you the advice that was given to me by the finance experts. So anyway, we're on the top of page two now. And you can see commander's endorsement. That's for Navy active duty and reserves only. Mandatory for them, optional for everyone else. And commander signature. Now, if you're a retiree, obviously there's not a commander to sign. So you can skip that part. And then it goes on to all sorts of other information by the branch of service, on and on and on. And as I go through very quickly, just continues on and on until the end. You know, this is all for the branch of service to worry about, not for the service member. Now, something that the finance people said was a good idea to include would be, if applicable, a sworn statement or two or three, if your Army, that is. I'm showing the Army sworn statement form. Now, each branch of service is going to have its own version, so if a sworn statement would be a value-added document to have, then, of course, include it. If not, then don't do it. Otherwise, it's just a waste of time. But if it would help your case, then do so. Moving on, this is just a real quick 
reminder of the Army regulation that applies to indebtedness, specifically having the indebtedness canceled. I will post the sworn statement, the DD form, and the Army regulation in the notes for this episode. All right. Now, now we are back to me. All right. Now, some advice that was given to me by the finance people that I thought was a very good idea. Specifically, my finance guru mentioned when completing this application for remission or cancellation of a debt, essentially you're trying to show that you have a financial hardship. So how do you show that? Well, her words were, flood them with information. So not only state that this debt would cause you a financial hardship, but send mortgage statements, bank statements, credit card statements, everything you can imagine as supporting documents for your claim. Don't just send this one-page application and expect it to be approved. Now, the other bit of advice that was given to me was these applications for cancellation or remission of a debt can take anywhere from six months to two years to go through, and there's not a guarantee that they'll be approved. So it's a good idea to contact the pay center and work out a payment plan of some sort so that you're at least making some sort of payment while waiting for this cancellation to go through. And then if it happens, you can turn around and apply for a reimbursement, for a refund of that money. That was the advice directly from a finance expert with whom I work on a regular basis, and I trust her judgment. So that is what I am passing on to you. Of course, like I said, I am not a finance guy, but I have seen enough of this that I think it is worthwhile to pass this information on so that if you are in a similar situation, you can at least take this information, consider it, and see if it's right for you. All right. Well, I don't like talking about areas where I am not the expert, and this is one of the few times where that's the case. So, now that I've survived that, I'm going to sign off for this week. All right. So, let me wrap up with a few things, just the normal closing announcements. For those who have not already subscribed, then please go over to the RC Retirement logo over here at the bottom of the screen and subscribe to this channel. If you are on the podcast, then please subscribe via iTunes or Stitcher. Also, I'd appreciate it if you are on iTunes or Stitcher that you subscribe, correction, that you provide a one or two sentence review of the podcast. Let other people know what you think. Is it worthwhile or not? I've heard from a couple of people now just in the past week that say they listen almost exclusively via podcast, which is very interesting, at least for someone like me, since I focus most of my efforts on video, to hear that people are listening to the podcast is really interesting to me. 
don't forget that I also have a weekly radio program on shortwave. It is specifically on 7780 kilohertz at 1630 Eastern Standard Time. And if you don't have a shortwave radio, then you can go to rcretirement.com and find some Amazon affiliate links for affordable radios. Lastly, if you would like to contact me, of course, you can send me an email at dj at rcretirement.com, or you can go to rcretirement.com and hit the speak pipe widget and leave me up to a three-minute voice message. And if you do that, please be sure to check your microphone first and to listen to your message before you hit send. Make sure that it's understandable. Every now and then I'll get a message that even with substantial editing, I can't understand. So help me out, help you out, and we're all good to go. All right, so that's all I've got for this week. Thank you, as always, for being a part of this audience. And most of all, thank you for your service. Have a great day.